Hey, it's Becca. And it's Nancy. And this is Insane Investigations. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. So today we're going to be covering another paranormal type of case. We're kind of going back. We haven't done a paranormal one in a while. while. We've done some like conspiracies and stuff, but we're coming back to paranormal. (laughs) And it's going to be a bit of a long one Mm -hmm. because we're going to be talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. But before we get into Ed and Lorraine and who they are, if you don't already know, there's just a couple of things that we want to say before we get into it. First, we want to give a quick shout out to our first Patreon, Sam. We really, really appreciate you, Sam. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. We just want to remind people as well that we do have a Patreon, Insane Investigations Podcast, and we're hoping to put some really fun stuff up on there, like bloopers and behind the scenes stuff. So do have a look if you're in interested in it and please as well now is the time we need it more than ever (laughs) yeah man we all lost our jobs it's it's not a great time for us yeah we need that money yeah (laughs) if you want to hear more of us please 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 go follow us on patreon if you haven't heard enough already also just wanted to remind you that we're gonna do a giveaway when we have 100 spotify followers so if you're not already following us please do that they are creeping up slowly but surely slowly but surely we're getting there every little help if your friends don't follow us make them follow us exactly before we get into the case as well we just wanted to give a quick shout out to our friends have you heard about this case podcast so if you haven't already followed them or listened to them go ahead they're on anywhere you listen to podcasts yeah they're really really fun they're really good we're gonna drop a little trailer in here so that you can kind of get a taste of what they're like Hi, Insane Investigation listeners. My name is Sam. And my name is Kelly. And we are the hosts of Have You Heard About This Case? Every Thursday, we'll take you through a true crime case or an unexplained paranormal phenomenon. We are just two ladies who love to talk about all things spooky. Come join us each week for conversations about some of your favorite cases and some cases you may have never heard before. Hopefully, at the end of our episodes, you'll be asking your friends, have you heard about this case? You can find us on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Just search, have you heard about this case? Thank you, and enjoy listening to our friends on Insane Investigations. So if you like true crime as much as we do, you'll definitely like Have You Heard About This Case. Before we get into like the background of who Ed and Lorraine were, just so people know, they were paranormal investigators. Yeah, pretty famous ones as well, I'd say. Pretty famous ones, yeah. Like a lot of people have heard of them. Even people who aren't particularly interested in paranormal things, like they caused a lot of controversy at the time. Oh yeah. We're going to get into all that today, but we're going to give you a background of who they were and like how they became paranormal investigators and how they met. First, we'll just give you a bit about Ed Warren. Edward Warren Miney, born on September 7, 1926, to Pauline and Frank Minen, had a typical upbringing and was brought up in the Catholic Church. When Ed was five years old, he had his first encounter with a spirit. He was sitting on his floor in his bedroom when he heard his closet door open on its own. When he looked up, he saw a small orb the size of a fly, which began to grow until it took on the silhouette of an old lady. I fucking hate that. I know, it's terrifying. I hate it. Imagine being five 
years old nah. and seeing that shit like no yeah. no thank you i did have some weird experiences as a kid i will get into them but i don't want to get into them on this episode because i was thinking yeah. we should definitely do an episode just on our experiences yes, alone 100%. definitely and maybe people that we yeah. know and stuff like that because we've seen some fucked up shit oh yeah together in this house fucked up shit has yes, happened so right we have some crazy ass stories we that we do. can't explain so <laughs> make sure you're following us on spotify so that you can see when that episode comes out yeah because it's definitely gonna be an interesting it's, one yeah 100%. <laughs> anyways back to ed's experience so eventually he recognized it as his family's landlady who had died a year before He described her as transparent and said that she looked unhappy, which wasn't surprising. Apparently, she looked unhappy even when she was alive. He said that when he saw her, the room got cold and he could hear her footsteps getting closer to him. He could even hear her breathing. Chills, man. Yeah, like that's how realistic she was. Oh, Oh, I hate it. Terrified, understandably so. Yeah. (laughs) He went to his father and told him that he had been seeing strange things in the home, including shadows, orbs, as well as the landlady. His father brushed it off and said there was a logical reason for what he saw and to forget it. Like typical, oh, you're just a kid, you're a man imagining it yeah man if your kids say they see shit believe them yeah because exactly. a lot of the time it is fucking kids that see more than we do so yeah years later ed began dreaming about a nun who would come and speak to him it happened so often that he felt he had no option but to tell his father what was happening ed's father was in shock to hear ed describe this woman in so much detail as he realized this woman ed was seeing was his own aunt and he never got to meet her as she had died before he was born terrifying honestly like imagine that one night she told him that when he grew up he would help priests she was clear that he wouldn't become one of them but would only help them ed began to get so afraid of the things that he could see and hear in the house that he refused to be alone in the house if his parents were not home from work yet he would sit and wait outside the house until someone got home he would even do this in the rain and snow because he knew that what would greet him on the other side of the door would be far worse. The family eventually moved when Ed was 12 after seven years of terror. A question that Ed often asked himself was whether other people could see what he could. This question stayed with him for a long time. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Just wow. So the reason we're kind of stopping there with Ed is because when he moves, he meets Lorraine. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory on who... Lorraine Warren was before she met Ed. Living just around the corner from Ed in his new home was Lorraine Rita Morin, born on January 31st, 1927, to James and Georgiana Morin, a wealthy Irish couple. Shout out to Irish people. Yeah. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> exactly. Lorraine too began to have supernatural experiences as a child. And she had a gift of clairvoyance, which if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's basically the ability to see the future and be able to know things about like a person or an object that other people couldn't know. Yeah. So like she could look at an object and know its history and stuff like that. Yeah. She could also see auras around people and thought that these were just normal experiences that everybody could see so she'd see like light around people and she yeah. thought that everybody saw that yeah she didn't know what clairvoyance was she thought that that was just a normal, a normal thing. thing yeah she went to a very prestigious all-girls catholic school mm-hmm. and one day she and her classmates planted a sapling tree once this was complete and everyone sat to look at it lorraine was able to see what it would look like when it was fully grown it was so real to her that she could see like leaves blowing in the wind and she was looking up 
at this tree. At this tree. Right. They, that they had only just planted. Yeah. Her teacher, who would have been a nun because it was a Catholic school and it was like the 1920s, mm-hmm. asked her why she was staring like up into the sky for no yeah. apparent reason. And Lorraine told her and the nun obviously knew that that was impossible. Mm-hmm. But she also knew that Lorraine was seeing the future. She concluded that Lorraine had what was called second sight. The nun sent her to a retreat home for the weekend where she had to spend the entire time in prayer and silence. Because they would have thought that shit was like... She was a bad. witch. Yeah. <laughs> From that point on, Lorraine knew not to tell anybody about her clairvoyant abilities. That's so sad. I don't think she even told her parents for yeah. a long time. Because thought she'd be punished. Yeah. However, Lorraine still believed that everybody could see auras. Until another day at the same school, she mentioned that one of the nuns in the school had a brighter aura than the head nun, which was called the Mother Superior. Mm-hmm. One of the nuns pulled Lorraine aside and told her not to speak of things like that again. Wow. So in an interview later on, Lorraine actually explained that she could see that her abilities upset her parents and the nuns and that she would have to pay a price if she continued mm-hmm. to tell people about this. Everyone had like a bad reaction to her yeah. telling them this. She like, didn't want to go back to that retreat home yeah. and stuff like that. Ed and Lorraine met when they were 16 and Ed instantly knew that there was something different about Lorraine. Maybe he's the clairvoyant. Yeah, because what happens later. <laughs> <laughs> Lorraine went to the movies every weekend with her mother and Ed worked there as an usher. So they kind of became friends, like just meeting there and he eventually asked her out on a date. So they began dating, they were kind of like an item, they were a couple. But one year later when Ed was 17, he joined the Navy, which changed his life in many ways. He was serving during World War II when his ship collided with an oil tanker and caught fire. Ed and a hundred other sailors were forced to jump into the water and just like take their chances there. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the Atlantic Ocean, so it was was like freezing cold like the titanic cold (laughs) so apparently a comrade of ed's was injured and he was trapped and ed was trying to keep him afloat but he couldn't move him because he was stuck so apparently ed claims that he said a prayer in that moment Mm -hmm. and that the flames then parted and the coast guard appeared saving both of them Oh, which is really, really like heartwarming. heartwarming. <laughs> yeah, because you can't imagine the fear that he was in, and imagine just being there and you're like, all hope is lost. Yeah, like, exactly. That is it's it. Just, this is how I'm about to die, and then out of nowhere, boom, coast guard. You're Jesus Christ, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so Lorraine was at home watching television when the news broke on to report that the two ships had collided. Ed's name was never listed as a survivor. God. So Lorraine was terrified she would be fell in love with this fella everything was going well hearing about this tragic accident and then his name not being there and the list is oh Oh my my god God. i can't i wouldn't be able i can't no but lorraine and ed's father continued calling people trying to find ed until Mm. they eventually found him in a military hospital on staten island which fair fucks to Lorraine because yeah. if that was me I'd probably just lie in bed crying yeah I'd just assume the worst his near-death experience was a wake-up call for Ed and when he returned home for a short break on May 22nd 1945 
him and Lorraine got married. Aww. So cute. Literally. They had one daughter together in 1946 named Judy Warren. That is such a mad introduction story. I know. Like, imagine it's having just... some backstory about how the two of them ended up together. Like, madness. It's insane. Like, how did it just so happen that he just moved right around the corner? Yeah. Like, that is destiny. That's destiny. That is destiny. So, and Lorraine Warren, obviously married, and they have a kid, they have a family together. This is how their journey begins together and then become paranormal investigators and all the rest. After World War II ended, Ed and Lorraine Warren had no plans to begin investigating the paranormal. They were a new family and they were trying to get on their feet just like everyone else. They planned to make their living as artists as they were both good at paintings and enjoyed doing this together. That's what they did for a while, but Ed found himself drawn to haunted houses he read about in the paper. On one occasion, they were visiting the ocean-borne Mary House, located in New Hampshire, which is a very well-known haunted house. While they got a chance to sit down with the homeowner, Lewis Roy, and hear about his experience in the house living there. During this conversation, Ed noticed Lorraine was in a trance and had no idea what was happening, but Lewis did. He explained it had happened to many of the clairvoyants who had visited the house. Lorraine said that during this trance, she felt she left her body and hovered above the room. She said it was a short experience before being jolted back in her body and claimed that that was the moment she knew not to fear death and that there was more to this world than meets the eye. This experience sparked something in Ed and he began visiting more haunted houses so that he could sketch them. Once they were sketched, Lorraine would knock on the homeowner's door and present them with the sketch of their house. This allowed them to start up a conversation about the paranormal experiences they were having in the home. This worked so well for them, it became an entire career for the couple. They would sell the sketches at art shows and be able to tell potential buyers the interesting and creepy backstories of the homes. That's so cool. Yeah. That is just such a, like, goal. <laughs> relationship gold right Literally. there. Going to haunted gaffs and being like, what's the story here? Yeah. <laughs> and then making money off it by drawing a picture. Very good pictures. That sounded very insulting. I did not mean that. No, no, no. Doing this helped Ed research and interview homeowners. Oftentimes, Ed noticed that the people he was speaking with were having similar experiences to the one he had had as a child. Question answered. Yeah. For Lorraine, these experiences were different because although she had these supernatural experiences, she never witnessed hauntings and she actually didn't believe in ghosts until later on in life. Which is surprising. Yeah. Because you're having these experiences. Like, okay, she thought everybody was clairvoyant and she thought everybody saw auras and she was probably just a bit like, oh, there's something wrong with yeah. me. When you're rising out your body. Yeah. How is that not convincing? <laughs> I know. So Lorraine was actually a bit skeptical about these homes they were visiting. She even claimed that people either had overactive imaginations or were making things up for attention. After a while, she found it hard to ignore that people all over the country were having similar experiences. Pretty soon, they went from seeking out houses to being seeked out themselves. People would call them wanting to observe cases. Sometimes they were even asked to clear a house of its spirits. It got to a point where if you lived in New England in the 50s or 60s and something weird was going on in your home, you called the Warrens. Move over, Ghostbusters. <laughs> exactly. It's just like it wasn't even something that they planned. They were just doing this because it was something they were interested, interested in. Interested in. And then, and then everybody's like, quick, they'll know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> they be- suddenly became like experts out of nowhere. <laughs> they learned that a ghost had to harness energy to manifest itself and that there were two ways of doing this. One was energy from a person. For example, they could harness the energy from a person's fear or anger. And another was from the atmosphere. So, for example, like a thunderstorm. So, anything that's like really, really strong. Strong. Yeah. As for inhuman spirits, 
Which means basically ones that never lived. So not like dead people, just like weird ass demons and demons shit. Demons and shit. Yeah. They usually attack in a purposeful and directed way and usually took place in stages. Stage one being mild, so as not to create panic. And these spirits don't always affect everyone in the home. One person would usually be singled out. Basically like a possession almost. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of Insidious. I know that there are like spirits and entities in that that like had lived before, but there's a lot that weren't. Now, yeah. I looked it up. Insidious isn't like based on anything to do with the Warrens. Yeah. It's just the same actor that plays Ed Warren. Yeah. So Ed became a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, which is demonology is basically a study of demons or demonic belief, author and lecturer. Can we proclaim ourselves? demonologist now yeah Since we're learning more and more about this shit because true crime analogist i'll add that onto my fucking <laughs> cv true crime analogist yeah honestly <laughs> i'm pretty sure i did look into fucking courses for that before <laughs> i was all, like how to become a demonologist yeah because once i found out about the warrens i was like literal goals like I yeah it is these people. gold man i'm like this is what i want to do in my life just be a little paranormal invest- oh i looked up like paranormal investigators ireland I was once in Tesco and I seen a fella with a fleece on and on the back of his fleece he had Paranormal Investigators Ireland. It's like a whole thing. And I was all like, how the fuck do I get into this shit? Because I want a fleece and I want to join. And I searched it up. But they have like a whole ass Facebook page and they basically go around Ireland they go to all these haunted locations and do like Paranormal Investigations I and shit. I want in. Yeah. Me now. too. We can have a look into it and be like, we yo, do you want to collab with insane investigations? We're yes. making like a whole ass thing. No, 100% we'll look into that. Lorraine professed to be clairvoyant and a light trans medium who worked closely with her husband. In 1952, the couple founded the New England Society for Psychic Research. The basement of this research center is where they began to build their occult museum, which I really, really want us to fucking go there. Yeah. Like as soon as bleeding the u.s decides to just get the fuck over covid already <laughs> um, we're gonna go over there yeah we'll make it our mission we 100%. will go we will see we will record we will film. i am going yeah 100 percent. and we'll we'll get happen. we'll try to get some kind of camera and we'll record it yeah if we're allowed the center's primary purpose was to serve as a base for the couple according to ed and lorraine they investigated over ten thousand cases over the course of their careers with doctors nurses researchers and police at their assistance. Their work has inspired some of the scariest horror movies to come out, which we all know of. I think we will get into that later on. Yeah, so basically what we're going to do from here on out is we're just going to go through some of their cases. We've kind of gone through their life and we'll go through like obviously what happens afterwards at the end. But right now we're just going to go through some of the cases. And Um, this is where the match is really. This is where the, yeah, this is where shit starts to get real. Some of these are based off movies. We don't yeah. reference the movies a whole lot, but we're thinking of doing like a follow-up episode, a follow-up with, episode with other horror movies and kind of do the facts versus what's in the movies yeah. at some point. So that's why we will touch on them a tiny bit, but just not a lot. So the first case that we're going to talk about that Ed and Lorraine worked on was Sindley Street. I'm sorry mm. if I'm saying that wrong. On Sunday the 24th of November 1974, Ed and Lorraine received a call from an old friend, psychic Mary Pascarella. She told them that they needed to get to Bridgeport as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Scary phone call. To I know, get. yeah. 
man I got a phone call like that before at like 10 o'clock at night now thank god it turned out to be nothing but it was like oh I need you to come over quick and it was my mum and I was like in a taxi in my pyjamas like who died and it was fine but the panic man it's scary so I can only imagine if you're a paranormal investigator (laughs) so the Warrens and father William Charbono head to the home of Jerry and Laura Gooden at 966 Linen Street in Bridgeport. When they arrived at the house, it was just in bits, like furniture had been flipped, things that were hung on the wall had been knocked down or torn off. Ed interviewed witnesses. The police officers who first arrived on the scene said that when they arrived, the house was in disarray. So in bits, basically. Mm -hmm. They also witnessed things flying off the walls and the shelves and onto the ground. They said they even saw furniture move. And this is the police saying The police. So this isn't just some, like... Random wacko who lives on the street saying this shit, like... Terrifying. Oh, God, yeah. When Ed was in the house, he claimed to have seen plates fly across the room and shatter on the floor, out of the corner of his eye. Then he saw a crucifix on the wall shatter into pieces. A crucifix. Hell fucking no. What the fuck? The crucifixes don't shatter. No. That was all that Ed needed to see to know that something paranormal was going on in no the gas. Shit, like, like- <laughs> apparently the Hondons began the day before the Warrens arrived. Jerry and Lauren had come home from the shop and when they were in the kitchen the table started levitating and the shopping just flew all over the room. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long they were living in that house. No, I'd be gone. But nah. Just no. Now. No, I'd be out of there. The same. If that wasn't bad enough, dishes went flying and knives lifted out of their holder and went flying across the room. Fuck. I would have never stepped foot in that gaff again. I don't care who Ed and Lorraine Warren are. No. No. So they hoped it was an isolated incident. However, later that night, their end tables were knocked over in the living room and their recliner chairs were open and closing no. in unison. <laughs> Just no. Like that is something out of a horror that is film. Terrifying. I once had a dream, right? This is like nowhere. In- I had a dream. <laughs> I, <laughs> I had a dream. Calm down there, Martin Luther King. <laughs> yeah. um, but- right, I'll tell you the story. My dad bought a piano <laughs> a few years ago. My dad bought a piano. And I was terrified. To this day, I'm terrified. I'm terrified of being alone in the house with that piano. Because I had this dream years ago. And I remember it. I still remember it. Like, vividly. Because of how much it freaked me the fuck out. Where I was in this house. It wasn't my my house. But in my dream, it was my house. If that makes sense. Yeah. But there's this piano in this house. And it was in my supposed bedroom in this dream. And out of nowhere, the piano started, like, playing on its own. <gasps> And no. I could like see the keys moving and I was like frozen in fear in bed staring at this piano. This is all in my dream, mind you, right? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah This isn't happening in real life, thank God I'd be gone. <laughs> but yeah, the keys started thing. And I was like so freaked out and then out of nowhere, out of the corner of my eye, in my bed, I could see what looked like somebody sitting on the bed, like the indentation of somebody sitting. And this was a dream and I remember this shit like vividly, vividly. clear as day. And I was like terrified and I ran out of the house forever and I woke up and that was that. But yeah, I am petrified of that piano in case if one day... It's, like, Is that I, piano still in your house? Yeah. I am never stepping foot no, in your house and, again. Man, I can't. Like, I would not be able to cope. Let I can't believe you let me in there. <laughs> like, imagine fucking... Like, in the middle of the night, this shit going downstairs, you hear him banging, and then you're fucking bleeding recliners that are just opening and closing on their own and spinning 
I'd be gone. No, I'd be gone. I would be, I would gone. be gone. No. And I'd never go back. I'd be homeless in a cardboard box on the you street. You need to get your dad to sell that piano, man. That piano is oh, haunted. I'm trying to convince him. I'm terrified. <laughs> it was like I had a premonition about the piano before the you piano. fucking bought Oh my it. God, it's terrifying. I can't. Basically, after all that started happening, they reached out to their neighbour, John Hallwart, for help mm. because he was a police officer and he came... To find them outside the house just completely hysterical. Understandably so. When he went inside, he saw the chairs opening and closing in unison. The icebox and the TV were moving around on their own, so he just called police immediately. Yeah, because like you wouldn't know who to call. In no, that. like what would you I'd do? Like, no. And that is so terrifying. Oh my god! Patrol officers arrived and witnessed the same things and had no idea what to do. So they called the fire department. Yeah, we don't <laughs> know what to do. How to handle this? They went in. They seen all this shit happening for themselves. City engineers got involved then because the fire department was like, like, "Who the fuck do we call?" Yeah. So then, city engineers checked to see if it was a carbon monoxide leak because. Mm-hmm that can cause people to have auditory and visual hallucinations that can seem quite sinister so i mean that would make sense as a possibility so when they entered the house they saw the fridge moving around and all that so they were like this is not carbon monoxide (laughs) (laughs) but they did the test anyways and it was negative yeah so Um, they were like no way it's definitely not that so father sherbono i'm so sorry if i'm saying that wrong I think they're used to it at this point. Yeah. I just expect us to the priest in. fella, <laughs> performed a blessing on every Florida house. However, encountered a dark shadow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Lorraine stayed upstairs with the priest's assistant while Paul performed the blessing. However, during the blessing, Lorraine began to feel a hot burning sensation in her hand, which quickly began to blister. This made Ed think that the spirit could have been attacking her. And you know what that reminds me of? Do you remember the Amityville? Yeah. Haunting when the priest came and they were trying to bless the house and he was saying he felt the burning sensation in his hand and the person out in blisters. Yeah, it's insane. So, it's actually terrifying. Similar. I've had my fair share of experiences with yeah. fucked Nothing up shit. Nothing like that. No. Nothing like this no. shit, man. Nothing like this shit. So, moral of the story, if you get a priest to bless your house, don't stay in the house while no. he does it. you can actually hear a clip of ed in the youtube video linked telling lorraine that she needs to get out of the house because she could be in danger due to her clairvoyant abilities and hearing like the worry and the fear fear. in his voice is terrifying man i had goosebumps Mm -hmm. so make sure you listen to that paul the priest's assistant stayed to watch over marcia the goodens 10 year old daughter who seemed to be at the center of all this paranormal activity these occurrences began in 1967 when john and laura's only son who had cerebral palsy died at the age of six after this they adopted marcia and strange paranormal activity began but it wasn't like and like major major like i think everybody has seen creepy stuff happening yeah and a lot of time you will turn around and just fob it off it's like oh i imagined it i must just be too tired or shit like that but for some reason in 1974 things just got worse and that's Mm. when they looked for help so the next day paul felt an abrupt energy shift in the house accompanied by the distinct smell of ozone which is kind of a metallic scent some people describe it as smelling like chlorine yeah which 
confuses me because I don't think chlorine smells metallic at all. Sometimes after a thunderstorm, the air will smell different as well. That is ozone. Paul said that that smell was accompanied by a haze which slowly began to take shape of four figures. He somehow knew that this was connected to Marsha. The entity lifted Marsha up off the ground and threw her across the room. Paul watched the whole thing happen and you can hear him describe his point of view in that video that I was talking about. Yeah. Again, terrifying. Yeah. Paul put Marsha behind him because he knew that the entity was after her and pushed against it. But he said that it pushed back, which he was not expecting. Like he said that that just smashed his whole belief system. Yeah, I'd say so. Well, he always believed that demons were spirits that had no body, that couldn't, like, touch or, like, yeah. do anything like that. So he was started describing this as, like, a parasite. Yeah. And he was terrified. And the Warrens weren't there yet. At the time, yeah. Or, that was after the Warrens left, sorry. So, an exorcism needed to be performed. However, it was never done. Mm-hmm. John Walsh, Bridgeport Police Superintendent, declared that the whole thing was a hoax and that Marsha had fabricated the whole thing. Wow. Which I think he was just afraid. Oh, yeah. Like, I get that. Like, obviously, stuff like that is so beyond belief that you're going to be like, this can't be real. This has to be a hoax. A hoax. Like, I do get that, but I hardly doubt the six-year-old kind of picked herself up and fucked herself across the room just for the sake of making me believe she was possessed. At the same time, Marsha didn't help matters. Okay, fair enough. So, Marsha ended up admitting to doing some things, like breaking the pictures, but she swore blind that she wasn't behind all of it. Yeah. She claimed that she wanted to see the demon react to her doing this. Why would she even be interacting with this Why? Demon? Like, I don't oh know. Why God. are you not scared? Why are no, you... Like, what the fuck, man? Why? Terrifying. Like, what... How? Nah, bro, I don't like kids. <laughs> this is why I don't and, like kids. And, like, that did give me doubts, but then there were so many witnesses, and, like, she hardly threw herself across the room. And just everything, like, I get that right fair enough the pictures, but I just don't understand. Like, how could she have been moving the fridge? How, yeah. Like, this is a six-year-old, man. A fridge is heavy. I know. And how could she be opening and closing both fucking recliner chairs in unison with loads of witnesses watching this and all of the witnesses were interviewed months later by psychologists and they were all still 100% sure that they saw things move around they saw furniture flip they saw it so it happened it did you know i mean the kid didn't help matters but at the same time even though it was stupid she was a kid yeah do you know what i mean considering the amount of witnesses this is actually considered one of the most witnessed hauntings in history yeah so first we're going to talk about the annabelle doll the famous annabelle doll was gifted between 1968 and 1970 from a mother to her daughter donna who was a nursing student turning 28 at the time. She purchased the doll from a hobby store and it is assumed that it was new as this particular brand of doll was a raggedy ann doll wearing a calico dress which did not predate the 70s. Donna was living with her roommate Angie at the time, who was also a nurse. However, things took a dark turn when they began coming home to find that the doll had moved rooms and the positions they had left it in. It would even appear back in Donna's room with the door shut. That's so creepy. No, like... It's actually terrifying. It'd be like <laughs> so sometimes they found the doll with its legs crossed and its arms folded. While on other occasions, it was found standing on its feet, leaning against a dining room chair. So it was like switching up positions and Proper shit as well. haunted, man. No. I would like, nah, I'd, I'd move out. <laughs> Me too. I'd move out. 
I'd burn the doll first. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd burn the doll. And move country. And the house. And everything that I owned. Yeah. And change my name and my identity and, and just, just, just yeah. flee. Yeah, I don't blame you, to be fair. So, they even discovered it kneeling on a chair, which was strange because if they tried to make the doll kneel on its own, it would fall over. It couldn't kneel because it yeah. was... a lot of people will know what yeah. Raggedy Ann dolls are. It's like a cloth doll. It's not like yeah. plastic or anything where you could like position it in certain ways. We'll have pictures yeah. on our Instagram anyways for you to have a look. So, her and her roommate began to find pieces of parchment paper with creepy messages such as, Help me, help us. There were even some messages left that said, help Lou, who was Angie's boyfriend. Lou should move too. Yeah, (laughs) basically, yeah. And as if that wasn't strange enough, the girls claimed that they didn't even have parchment paper in their house. Like, where was this doll getting this shit from? doll. No. I I wouldn't be able. Just one big no. (laughs) Me neither. Do you know, scratch that. Once, Once that happened, do you know what? I wouldn't even flee the country. I'd just take myself out of plot. (laughs) <laughs> I'd just be gone Remove I'd be like do, do you know what you stay here <laughs> I will go I'll go <laughs> you take my place <laughs> I, I, I volunteer as tribute <laughs> yeah we need to include some laughs in here otherwise people will get nightmares yeah but yeah when things seemed that they couldn't get any creepier drops of blood were found on Annabelle's hands and chest it was only at this moment when the girls began to get like really scared up until now they were kind of like this is weird yeah a bit creepy might be haunted but yeah this doll is just being freaky as fuck but it's chill it's chill oh no there's blood on her this is where it crosses the line (laughs) that's it once the blood comes in game over game so about four to six weeks after the initial paranormal activity began the two women turned to a medium the medium held a seance and introduced Donna and Angie to the spirit of Annabelle Higgins, a six or seven year old who had played in the fields that existed where Donna and Angie's apartment complex now stood. Apparently, Annabelle's lifeless body had been discovered in the fields having been killed in a car accident and out of compassion, Donna and Angie permitted the spirit that they thought was that of Annabelle to stay with them and possess the doll. No thanks. Why? Why, <laughs> why would, why would why? anyone think that's a good idea? Uh- uh, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally just no. I'd be like, do you know what? You can stay in the doll, but get the fuck out of my life. <laughs> yeah. Take them little doll legs and yeah. walk. Yeah. Go haunt someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Find a new home. Yeah. Fire. You're done. Yeah. So, obviously, there was a bit of controversy about this story, as originally it was said that the little girl was six years old and found in the fields, but later on, Ed said that she was seven and was killed in a car accident. So, this caused a lot of people to believe that Ed and Lorraine were frauds. One night, Lou awoke suddenly from a deep sleep and realised that he was unable to move. He saw the Annabelle doll at his feet and watched as it slowly glided up his leg and over his chest. Before he knew it, the doll had begun to strangle him until he blacked out. He woke up the next morning certain that his experience wasn't a dream. Like, why is this doll still here? Yeah. Like, this thing had blood on it and then they're just like, let's let this, like, possess spirit that has blood on the fucking doll (laughs) just stay just stay they gave it permission to just say like why would they not only that this doll had the audacity to fucking do this shit after (laughs) they they welcomed 
her into her home into their home the cheek the fucking neck can you man. believe it? the absolute neck that's a scruffy ass <laughs> nah, man, that's when she'd be getting burned for sure <laughs> you betraying little bitch what yeah. the fuck nah. after i welcomed you what out a fucking of my snake head. man <laughs> <laughs> what a snake <laughs> on another occasion Lou and Angie were studying maps to prepare for a trip Lou was embarking on the next day when they heard rustling noises coming from Donna's room Lou approached the closed door and waited for the noises to stop before entering he turned on the light and saw Annabelle laying on the floor in the corner he walked over to the doll but as he did he began to sense that someone was behind him he spun around but there was no one there in an instant, he found himself doubled over, grabbing his chest, which was now bleeding. Upon inspection, he discovered seven claw-like scratches on his chest, four horizontal and three vertical, that were like hot burns. The scratches healed rapidly and were fully gone in two days. And that's when Ed and Lorraine Warren took an interest in the case and contacted the women. After evaluating Annabelle, they came to the immediate conclusion that the doll itself was not possessed but was being manipulated by an inhuman presence no shit no fucking way (laughs) wow i knew no ghost would be that much of a snake (laughs) not even what eight-year-old girl (laughs) would be what what eight-year-old girl wants to strangle people yeah like oh i'm a cute little girl i'm possessing a cute little doll help me help me oh but i'm gonna fucking murder you yeah nah plot twist (laughs) so the warren's evaluation was that annabelle was looking to possess the human host so they took it from the women to keep them safe while they were driving home with annabelle the brakes in their car failed several times they pulled over and covered her in holy water and they say that after that the car trouble stopped according to ed and lorraine warren annabelle continued to move around their house on her own too so they locked her in a glass case and sealed it with a binding prayer even now visitors to the warrens museum say that annabelle continues to cause mischief and could even cause problems for skeptics during a tour video of ed and lorraine warren's occult museum in monroe connecticut ed pointed out the raggedy ann doll in its case and then we have a quote from him many of the objects in this room here have had dire effects on people people have been maimed have been killed people have wound up in mental institutions because of the many things that are right in this building here you have the voodoo dolls you have the raggedy ann doll which was responsible for the death of a young man who came in here one time who challenged the doll to do its worst and it did so the young man had apparently come to the occult museum on his motorcycle with his girlfriend for a tour and as ed warren was given the tour the young man started to mock the doll and while doing so he ran up and began tapping on the glass of the case that the doll is enclosed in he challenged the doll to put scratches on him like it had supposedly done in the past to lou Ed kicked the young man out of the museum and approximately three hours later, the young man died when he lost control of his motorcycle and hit a tree. His girlfriend survived but remained hospitalised for over a year. That is... Jo- I, I have no words. <laughs> like, just no thank you. No. They should have got rid of that all day one. Like, one thing that I think anybody with common sense would do, they went to some kind of haunted museum, regardless of what you believe in. You're not going to mock the thing no just in case just in case i would just in case you're not doing any harm by just you know taking a break from being a dick yeah (laughs) i mean dad right yeah like why would you go to the stupid museum yeah in the first place you're just gonna be a dickhead about everything you can drive your motorcycle somewhere else (laughs) exactly yeah so next we're gonna talk about the 
parent family mm-hmm. and the film the conjuring is actually based on mm-hmm. what happens with the parent family the first one not the second one yeah. we'll talk about the second one later yeah. <laughs> before we get into the parent family and what you remember from the movie there is one person that you should know about and this is kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent mm-hmm. but you'll see why it links up later on so i'm gonna just tell you who this person was explain a bit about them and then i'm gonna tell you about the parents but then you'll see yeah. why it, it makes sense just in case you're like what the fuck happened to that she's <laughs> like talking some random shit <laughs> i'm gonna do my best to pronounce this but it's names from the 1800s mm-hmm. and okay. good luck <laughs> so born Bathsheba Thayer in Rhode Island in 1812 she married fellow Rhode Islander Judson Sherman who was one year older than her in Thompson Connecticut on March 10th 1844 the two were married in Vernon Stiles a local justice of the peace and Bathsheba filled the role of a housewife while her husband Judson worked as a farmer on their land Mm -hmm. so they were quite fairly well off and they ended up having a son herbert sherman when Bathsheba was about 37 okay that's quite old that's quite old especially yeah. the 1800s yeah like she's like a nanny basically <laughs> yeah. in that time like yeah so he was born in march of 1849 it is possible that they had three other children like there's some conflicting information obviously Mm -hmm. because it's such a long time ago yeah all of those three children did not survive past the age of seven Mm -hmm. though no census records could be found to confirm that they were ever around the unofficial record of their existence was found on a public internet family tree that lists their names as julia born in 1845 edward born in 1847 and George born in 1853. So it is possible that they died before the next census was conducted because it's all in the space of seven years. Yeah. So yeah, it was never really confirmed or denied that she had them. The family usually took in a boarder most likely to help them on the farm so Bathsheba had actually lived on a neighboring farm in the 1800s before her and her husband got married there was a suspicion that she was a witch okay because an infant had mysteriously died in her care right okay obviously people who are like really into the occult and stuff believe that even more now because an infant died in her care and then she had three children that there's no record of but they died yeah it's a bit weird and they all died while they were young as well before the age of seven yeah when the baby was examined it was determined that the fatal wound was caused by a large knitting or sewing needle and had been impaled at the base of the child's skull oh my god that is fucked that is like no accident like that's not something that just happens and i don't think that that's like a quick death unless you get it in like a certain no, I don't want to think about that. Yeah. I actually don't want to think about no. that. No. Townspeople believed that Bathsheba had sacrificed the infant as an offering to the devil due to the, them having, like, no evidence against yeah, like, her. Yeah, like, prove that. Yeah, they couldn't do anything about it, so she was released. Mm-hmm. Despite her name being cleared legally, though, the public was not convinced. So a mm. lot of people... We're still like, nah, she's a witch. (laughs) So she died as an old woman on May 25th, 1885, roughly four years after her husband Judson Sherman's death in 1881. 
She lived to see her son Herbert become a father and marry his fiance Anna in 1881. Some people believe that her body literally turned to stone when she died or that she died from a bizarre form of paralysis that puzzled and frightened doctors. So oh there's God. a lot of different like conspiracies about yeah. what happened. Like some people think she died of old age and turned to stone. Some people think that she was like paralyzed and all this mad yeah. stuff like the gravesite is located in the historic cemetery across the street from the fire station and rotary in downtown harrisville rhode island so in january 1971 the parent family carolyn and roger and their five daughters andrea nancy me christine not me. <laughs> no <laughs> definitely not fuck that shit <laughs> Christine, Cindy and April moved to a large farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Wonder whose house that was. So in researching the home, Carolyn claimed to discover that the same family had owned it for eight generations during... Yeah, that's a really long long time. During which time many died by drowning, murder or hanging just casual family day just, you know like, what yeah. the fuck casual ways to die it's like murder house in american horror yeah. story that's what it reminds me of when the warrens were brought in they claimed that the home was haunted by the spirit of Bathsheba. the first night they were in the home the family were unpacking boxes and andrea the oldest daughter saw a man in the kitchen two of her sisters saw the man too it was never confirmed who it was yeah we just know that it was andrea because andrea actually wrote a book we're gonna talk about that a lot initially they thought that it was like somebody that was with the previous owner helping them move out or something however the man said nothing he just stood very very still and then just vanished right in front of them oh my god it wasn't long before the broom would begin being moved around and carolyn was finding like random piles of dirt just Mm. like all over the floor Like, she'd have freshly swept, like, the kitchen floor. And then all of a sudden, there'd be, like, little piles of dirt. Which just, that that gave me chills. No. No. I can't even imagine. No. The family noticed strange occurrences happening at night as well. And these only got worse over time. It started off with the missing broom. But, like, it escalated into, like, fully-fledged angry spirits, like, attacking. The family encountered spirits that made their beds levitate at 5.15am every single morning. (laughs) What the hell? Every single morning. Terrifying. Dickheads as well. Yeah. At least let me sleep. I know. Like, bad enough have to deal with your bullshit. And you don't even pay fucking rent. (laughs) And now you don't even let me have a fucking good night's rest because you want to wait... Wake someone else up at 5.15am. Leave yeah. me the fuck alone. Like, I am sorry, but if angry spirits get to live in these big-ass houses rent-free, I want to be a fucking angry spirit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, don't Cause... make me fucking off myself and get at you. Because <laughs> I swear to God, if I die, the first thing I'm going to do is kick your ass in the yeah. afterlife. <laughs> you don't know how determined I get, okay? Yeah. Like, it's... Don't fucking make me do it. <laughs> By the way, disclaimer, I am not even remote. We're not suicidal it was no. a joke please don't call for help we're fine that wasn't a joke for you find a different podcast <laughs> <laughs> 
So objects would start like flying across the room and like smashing into walls and the house constantly smelled like rotten I flesh. I wouldn't be able to cope with that. No. No. That would, would send me over the edge. That yeah. in itself no. I'd be like no. Again, I don't understand why people don't value their lives more than their gaffes. Yeah. Thank you. Like I Honestly. know. I look. I know about the cost of living. I, <laughs> I understand. I, under, I live in a fucking attic. <laughs> Right, me and Nathan live in an attic together and it's fucking ridiculous. There's literally space for my bed and our podcast. Yeah. And that's it. That's so, it. So, I understand that there's a fucking crisis. <laughs> but, I'm living in the crisis. I'd rather live in a box on O'Connell Street <laughs> than fucking, actually, do you know what? No, I'm a bougie bitch. I'd rather live in a box on Grafton Street. Yes. Than be Standard. haunted. Okay. Then haunted me too. Okay. I'll join you. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night levitating. No. Nah. At least no. if I wake up in the middle of the night and I feel like I'm levitating on O'Connell Street, it's because somebody's kidnapping me. <laughs> <laughs> At least I can see that cunt. Yeah, exactly. And go feral on that cunt. Exactly. What am I supposed to do to a ghost? Fuck yeah. paint at it? <laughs> Honestly. And I don't really think that that would work. I think it would just go through it. Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) The family avoided going into the basement because of a cold and stinking presence they felt down there. Every single one of them. I've never heard of anyone having a basement and it not being like hella hot. Yeah. Like they're not really a thing here in Ireland anyways, but like. Terrifying. Yeah. Basements are creepy. Yeah. And Andrea, the eldest daughter, actually wrote a book. It was called House of Darkness, House of Light. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and she wrote like in great detail about experiences that they had in the house so if you're interested in this case in particular i would definitely look into getting that book yeah andrea said in her book whoever the spirit was she perceived herself to be mistress of the house and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position so she was like being a bitch to everyone but she really hated carolyn in particular carolyn told ed and lorraine about an incident where she had been lying on the sofa and all of a sudden felt a piercing type of pain in her calf Mm -hmm. and then the muscle began to spasm Mm -hmm. when she looked she noticed a puddle of blood and like the point of impact she checked for bees or anything else that could have caused the puncture but like there was nothing yeah it was a perfect concentric circle as well yeah and it was described like a sewing or knitting needle like the one that the kid yeah that's fucked that is so fucked up i hope if you didn't believe in ghosts you believe in <laughs> there you do yeah that's not a fucking coincidence no when carolyn told ed and lorraine this story in conjunction with the tale about Bathsheba, who had been suspected of killing the infant with the knitting needle lorraine suggested that Bathsheba could have taken the needle with her into the afterlife and used it to stab carolyn in the calf mm-hmm. from that point on lorraine referred to the demonic presence as Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. so she obviously really really believed Believe that it. that's who it was yeah a quote from lorraine is that the things that went on there were just so incredibly frightening and the warrens made frequent trips to the house over the years that the parent family lived there they did perform a seance that had carolyn speaking in tongues before she was allegedly thrown across the room shaken by the seance and concerned for his wife's mental health roger asked the warrens to leave and stop investigating the house i forget his wife's mental health what about her fucking physical health yeah like she's getting stabbed yeah and he's just like 
Get out. Yeah. And like a lot of people thought that there was an exorcism because that's what happened in the, um, in the movie. But actually she wasn't possessed by Bathsheba. Bathsheba was haunting the house and yeah. just particularly had a dislike she saw carolyn as competition yeah basically according to andrea the family finally saved up enough to move out of the house in 1980 nine years after moving in nine years and the haunting stopped so it stopped when they moved out so it was definitely the house it was definitely the house so the black book of burlville i hope i'm saying that right Mm -hmm. the town's former public records book reveals that over the course of the existence the property had been host to two suicides by hanging one suicide by poison the rape and murder of 11 year old prudence arnold by a farmhand two drownings and the passing of four men who froze to death in addition to other tragic losses of so that's like oh just to name a few that's just to name a few oh my god no wonder how places are yeah. haunted. Yeah. In her book, Andrea addresses the members of the Arnold family who died on the farm, where she states most of the recorded deaths which occurred on the farm were in that family. Mrs. John, Arnold, Hermione, Penny and Prudence, even Bathsheba was an Arnold originally. Yeah. However, with regard to the murder and rape of the 11-year-old, official death records indicates that she died in the town of Uxbridge, Massachusetts, not Burrowville, Rhode Island, revealing that her place of death was likely not the farm. Okay. So again, it's conflicting information. It was many, many years ago, so yeah, it's hard to kind of tell. There wasn't as much ways of collecting and storing data as there yeah. is now. The record of her death actually says that the cause of death was her throat was cut by w-e-x these initials contradict the name that andrea gives in her book which is bill norton the first initial w could possibly be for william which has shortened to bill yeah however she still doesn't explain the last name being incorrect yeah so next we're going to talk about the enfield haunting so on august 30th 1977 the hodgson family began reporting strange things happening in their house in enfield england peggy hodgson was a single mother with four children margaret who was 12 janet 11 johnny 10 and billy who was seven this one is the conjuring two yeah now a lot a lot of what's in the movie is what actually happened yeah. so knocking came from all over the house causing the hodgson's to think that perhaps burglars were scoping out the home at other times legos and marbles flew across the room and were hot to touch afterwards folded clothes leapt off tabletops to fly around the room lights flickered furniture spun and the sound of barking dogs emanated from empty rooms this supernatural activity began following Peggy's daughters, Janet and Margaret, playing with a Ouija board in the home. So the first occurrence took place on August 30th, as Peggy Hudson reported that Janet came to her and told her that her brother's beds were, quote, wobbling. The following morning, Peggy heard a loud noise from upstairs and went to investigate. What she saw was more terrifying than I could ever guess she expected. She entered her children's bedroom and saw a chest of drawers moving. She tried to stop the heavy oak chest as it moved towards the door, concluding that an invisible force was trying to trap them in the room. Thinking that it was Janet and her siblings making the noise, Peggy told them to go to sleep. A quote from Janet about what happened was, We told her what was going on and she came to see it for herself. She saw the chest of drawers moving. 
When she tried to push it back, she couldn't. The knocking would fade in and out as it ran down the wall, supposedly frightening the family so much that they all slept in the same room with the light on. Which, I mean, that would be me as well. That is, that is terrifying, though. Like, imagine being so afraid that you're all sleeping in the same room. Yeah. But that would be exactly what I would do. Yeah, I mean, same. But <laughs> I mean, I hope that never happens. No, oh my God, definitely not. So, Vic Nottingham, a neighbour, claims that when he went into the home to investigate at the family's request, he heard a knocking on the wall and on the ceiling. You can actually hear the knocking in the following interview, which took place in the home with Janet. It is quite long. The video yeah. itself is like 34 minutes. So we'll just include the link in our resources. So just if you are interested in hearing knocking for yourself, feel free to go check that out. Yeah. So they called the police to investigate and the officer who arrived is said to have witnessed a chair rising and moving on its own. In the Conjuring 2 movie, Janet rises high in the air and finds herself pinned against the ceiling. This is a complete exaggeration of what allegedly happened in real life during the Enfield hunting. Photographs of the real Janet Hodgson levitating only showed her a short distance above her bed. This coupled with the way her body is positioned in the air has led many people to believe that she simply jumped from her bed. Yeah, like when you look at the photo initially, the face that she's making and stuff, you're like, oh shit. But then when you look a bit closer, like it does look, it is possible that That she could have just been jumping. Like a lot of people think that this was a hoax. Yeah. Which I find weird, but we'll get to that. Yeah. So the questionable photos were taken by Daily Mirror photographer Graham Morris after the family contacted the press. And for anyone who doesn't know or doesn't live in the UK, Daily Mirror is a UK tabloid newspaper whose stories often have proven to be exaggerated at times. And a quote from Janet about this experience is, The levitation was scary because you didn't know where you were going to land. There were two other witnesses outside of the family, a baker and a lollipop lady who were passing by outside and claimed to have seen Janet hovering above her bed as they looked through the upstairs window and janice said that the lady saw me spinning around and banging against the window i thought i might actually break the window and go through it then inexplicably a fireplace ripped itself out of the wall attracting the attention of paranormal investigators from around the world including ed and lorraine warren two years after they started the mysterious activity known as the enfield hunting abruptly stopped however the family maintains that they didn't do anything to stop it just kind of like yeah or did they just get bored fucking yeah just <laughs> making this shit like, yeah so janet hudson believes that it was a priest's 1978 visit to the family's enfield home in north london that caused the haunting to calm down not the warrens though the occurrences did not end completely peggy still heard noises in the house from time to time and janet's younger brother billy who lived there until his mother passed remarked that you always felt like you were being watched chills that freaks me now. yeah i don't this like the idea of that at all ed and lorraine only briefly investigated the enfield poltergeist in the summer of 1998 and were just two of the many investigators to visit the hodgson's north london home on green street most articles about the enfield poltergeist case don't even mention the warrens at all leading some people to conclude that their role in the case was significantly dramatised for the conjuring too. Yeah, a lot of people said that they weren't really there. Yeah. And that's why, like, a lot of people were like, oh, this case is proof that they're a hoax. Yeah. But if they were only there for two days, they couldn't really do Do anything. Yeah. Like, it's not like they were out, like, saying, like, oh, we did this, then. Yeah, We seen this, that, or we felt this, that. Yeah. They went, they seen, they left. Yeah, they weren't there for long. Yeah. Like, other people were more involved than they were. So, Guy Lyon Playfair, one of the original paranormal investigators on the Enfield Poltergeist case, 
came forward prior to the movie's release and said that the Warrens had shown up uninvited and only stayed for a day. So they were there for like a day. A day. It wasn't even like a little bit of time. Like that is like no time at all. One fucking day. So for all we know that they literally walked in. We're like, nah, there's not a ghost here and left. Yeah. And people are like, oh yeah, no, they're fake because of this. Like that doesn't make sense. He also said that Ed Warren told him he could make him a lot of money off the case. And the Warrens were convinced that this was a real poltergeist case. Ed Warren touched on the case and its skeptics, the demonologist, stating, Inhuman spirit phenomena were in progress. Now, you couldn't record a dangerous, threatening atmosphere inside that little house, but you could film the levitations, teleportations, and dematerialization of people and objects that were happening there. Not to mention the many hundreds of hours of tape recordings made of these spirit voices breaking out loud in the rooms. As this case became widely viewed as a hoax, some people saw it as proof that the Warrens themselves were frauds. One thing that makes people believe that the poltergeist was real is that a man named Bill Wilkins died in the home the same way Janet described the man who was possessing her died, as confirmed by Bill's son Terry. All in all, there were more than 30 witnesses to strange incidents in the home, including furniture moving. They had supposedly witnessed objects flying around, cold breezes, physical assaults, pools of water appearing on the floor, graffiti, and perhaps most incredibly, matches spontaneously igniting i mean that's a lot of people as well it is a lot of people like who knows maybe that's the thing like i think it could have been dramatized a little bit but i don't doubt that there was something going on yeah do you know what i mean yeah plus i mean kids tend to over exaggerate things as well in general So next, we're going to talk about the Amityville haunting. It's a case that we've actually already done an episode on, two episodes on, really. So we're not going to go into like a whole lot of detail. I'm just going to kind of recap the story because Ed and Lorraine Warren were involved in the case. So in November 1974, 23-year-old Ronald, aka Butch DeFeo Jr., the eldest child of the DeFeo family, murdered his entire family in their beds with a .35 caliber rifle. Mm-hmm. That means zero to me, but I said <laughs> I, I said I'd write it down because people might understand what that means. Yeah. Um, the infamous case became the catalyst for the claim that the spirits haunted the Amptonville house. In 1976, George and Kathy Lutz and their two sons moved into the Long Island house and soon believed a demonic spirit was residing there with them. So George, the father of the Lutz family, said that he witnessed his wife transforming into a 90-year-old woman and levitating above the bed. I would have just moved out there and then. Yeah, I I probably would have divorced her and moved out and, like, I don't know brought the kids with me i don't know i would have been gone that's for sure all i know is yeah i would have been gone that night yeah the whole family said that they used to see like slime like seeping out of the walls Mm -hmm. and apparently they used to see a pig-like creature like just (laughs) apparently knives flew off the counters pointing right at members of the family so like they would just shut off oh that's terrifying no i wouldn't feel safe no the family used to walk around with a crucifix and like reciting prayers because they were so afraid imagine having to walk around your house with a crucifix because you were so scared so scared yeah i'd be gone no 
One night, they said that they heard banging as loud as a marching band emanated through the house. And that was a quote mm. from George, I think. After 28 days, they couldn't take it anymore and they fled the home. So once they started hearing like all that banging, banging they were like, they were like no. no. Which to me, that's like the least scary of yeah, all the things that happened. <laughs> yeah. Like it's that wouldn't that- have been what drove me out. Like No, no. Like it's funny how that was their last job. Yeah. No, not your wife levitating yeah. or like transforming into a different not person. Not the pig like creature, but not the fucking shit like creeping down the walls. Yeah. Like nah. But the second the banging started, the second I heard a bang, that was it. That was out. it. Game over. My house makes banging noises and shit like yeah. that. Now I want to move out, but if I woke up one night, Nathan was levitating. Oh God! Gone. Nah, gone, gone. Just no. Ed and Lorraine Warren visited the home 20 days after the Lutzes left. Mm -hmm. And according to the Warrens, Ed was physically pushed to the floor and Lorraine felt an overwhelming sense of demonic presence. Ooh. So that's scary as well. Like imagine like imagine walking into a house and like just getting pushed on the ground. Yeah. (laughs) Being like a demon. Along with their research team, they claimed to capture a picture of the spirit in the form of a little boy in the stairway. Yeah. Which we did post our Instagram. We'll post it again for anybody who didn't get to see it. It's a really, really scary photograph. It is. It's definitely fucking creepy. Yeah. Like, uh, even just thinking about that gives me goosebumps. Yeah. The story became so high profile, it launched its own conspiracy theories, books, and films, including the Amityville Horror. There's loads of different versions, even, yeah. of that film at this stage. Definitely. Some skeptics do believe that the Lutzes fabricated the whole story. However, the couple did pass lie detector tests. I think they took multiple. Yeah. Their son, Daniel, admits that he still has nightmares about the horrifying things that he experienced in the house. Yeah. There's a lot more to the different things that they seen in the house and the different things that happened. Yeah, there was a lot. Um, there was a lot, but if you want to hear more about it, you can go back to that episode. Yeah, like this episode's long enough as is without adding yeah. another two episodes. I think, yeah, I think this is Oof. definitely going to be the longest episode, if not the second longest. Yeah. After our first our episode. First one, yeah, we were slow back then. Yeah, we had no idea now how to... So next we're going to talk a little bit about, basically it was like the first defense that was made in America where somebody claimed that the reason they committed a crime was because they were essentially possessed and they said that like the devil was what made them do it. Yeah. Yeah. On February 16, 1981, 19-year-old Arnie Johnson stabbed his landlord Alan Bono to death with a five-inch pocket knife. It was the first murder ever recorded in Brookfield, Connecticut. This is also the first time in the history of America the defense was the devil made me do it. So before killing his landlord, Arnie was a typical teenager with no prior criminal record. People who knew him said he was polite and well-mannered and he was known to get along well with his landlord. Ed described him as a typical American boy who loved sports and baseball and Lorraine described him as a beautiful person. Ed even said, if you were going to have a son, he'd be the son you want. I mean, like, he committed murder. (laughs) Okay. I suppose we'll I guess we'll look past that he's a good person inside but okay I'm gonna trust the process and trust the warrant here right in the summer of 1980 almost a year before the murder Arnie had a fiance Debbie and her 11 year old brother began making disturbing claims David said that there was an old man bothering him he said he would taunt and provoke him and he didn't like it 
Arnie and Debbie brush it off thinking he wanted to get out of chores and that he was basically just doing it all for attention. But David didn't stop talking about the old man. His encounter with him continued and they began to get more frequent and violent. This was really affecting David. He would wake up screaming, describing visions of a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features, jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns and hoofs. Well, I mean, that's the devil if you've ever described him. I mean... Why would you even call that an old man? That's not a, that's that's, not a that, man. That's straight up Satan. What that's are you talking fucking, about? Yeah, that's some kind of fucking satanic creature. Anyways. Yeah, that's for sure. A priest came to bless their home, but it didn't help. David began acting out in ways he never did before. He was biting, kicking, screaming and swearing. I mean, it sounds like possession, but also sounds like a teenager. So. Yeah, I mean, it could be either or. Yeah. Now this next bit. He started having seizures, hissing and speaking in strange voices while quoting the Bible and the book Paradise Lost. Yeah, I don't know. Why Paradise Lost? Exactly. Who the fuck knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's scary. There is a video where you can actually hear him like hissing and stuff like that. And it's it's scary as fuck. It's linked in the resources if you want to watch it, but it's scary. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds it. I don't even know if I want to watch that video. Nah, you you don't. But yeah, go check out that video if you like not sleeping. Yeah. So David's family said he experienced strangling attempts by invisible hands that would try and pull from his neck. Powerful forces would flop him head to toe like a rag doll. Jesus. (laughs) No. No. No, thank you. Soon as night terrors began during the day and he began claiming to see an old man with a white beard dressed in a flannel shirt and jeans. The family started hearing strange noises coming from the attic. David had a slight learning disability and the Warrens got in touch with a doctor whose son had had a similar disability to come with them and assess if there was anything they can do in regards to David's behaviour and basically see if there's any type of medication that could be causing it. However, he was not on any type of medication. Psychiatrists sat with David and were able to confirm he had no mental illnesses. Ed and Lorraine felt David was in the early stages of demonic possession. This one sounds like he was in like the full-fledged stages yeah, of demonic like, possession. Not nah. early, man. This dude is like due for an exorcism. Yeah, any day now. <laughs> like, yeah, like he, fair enough, the screaming, the swearing. Eh, he's a 19-year-old yeah. boy. What do you expect? I scream and swear now when I'm 25. <laughs> yeah. Do you too. know what I mean? But definitely the whole hissing at people and yeah. speaking in strange nah. languages and I am voices sorry. and shit. If like, my no. child started hissing at me, I wouldn't even bring him to the doctor. I'd be bringing him straight to the church. Straight to, to a the priest. Vatican. Yeah, man. <laughs> to the like, Pope. I'm, not, I'm not even like, I don't even know what I believe in. Yeah. But like, I wouldn't know what else to do except drag that child down to the fucking yeah. church. Like, Literally, straight away. Call the fucking Pope. You're getting <laughs> baptized again, bro. Yeah, <laughs> like seriously. So David began to gain what was almost superhuman strength it would take four to five men to restrain him and apparently the warren saw him transform into something else before their eyes one minute he was david and the next his eyes would completely change that reminds me of split no bro do you know when he like turns into the yeah. beast no 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 no. During all of this, David and Arnie stayed close and David would even stay with Arnie during his episodes. They would begin at 11pm and last until the sun came up. This began to wear on Arnie as he worked two jobs and would come home to eat, sleep until 11pm and then go and stay with David during his episode. In October 1980, it was when Arnie made a mistake. He taunted the demonic presence to stop bothering David and said, Take me on, leave my little buddy alone. 
no you do not do that nah first of all you do not ever ever taunt anything that's nah. paranormal you no let matter fucking mind no. it's business and you mind your business if it was my kid maybe but uh, no i take me kid and run i would not stay and taunt it because oh yeah no don't don't taunt it in general why would you say no possess me instead yeah. if it was my yeah. kid yeah but no otherwise no i'd be like oh fuck yourself you Go are not possessing yourself. anything yeah. You're not possessing me or my fucking child. No. Goodbye and good luck. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck. Yeah, go back to the after, like, get out of me face. <laughs> Unlike your own with the Annabelle doll. Yeah, you can chill. You can just chill with us. Yeah, you just chill yeah. with us. That's cool. You're just randomly popping up in places where you weren't before, fucking covered in blood, but it's fine. That's cool. It's grand. Like, she's minding her business. Yeah. It's just her hobby, like, killing people. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, we don't stress about yeah. that live with us bitch ain't even paying rent <laughs> okay so unfortunately for arnie the demonic presence did take him seriously could have told you that for free arnie but no you have to go ahead and taunt the thing taunt the thing yeah so at one point six priests were involved in the case and even they were worried for arnie on the evening of february 16th 1981 an argument broke out between arnie and alan at around 6 30 p.m he pulled out his pocket knife and stabbed alan multiple times in the chest and stomach Arnie's attorney tried to plead not guilty by reason of demonic possession and the Warrens and even the priests went to the courthouse for Arnie to testify that they truly believed that he was possessed by a demonic spirit at the time. Judge Callahan argued that his defense could not be proved. The evidence was not scientific and therefore could not be submitted. Arnie was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. However, he was released after five years for good behavior and married Debbie in 1984 and had two children together. They both stand by everything the Warrens said about the case. However, the rest of Debbie's family believed that the Warrens used the story to gain publicity for money. That's <laughs> insane. That is insane. And I want to know, is this dude still possessed? Or like, did he just have to like kill some dude and then be like, the spirit's like, I'm done. Bye. I don't know. I feel like, I kind of wondered that as well. But I mean, I guess if he got married and had kids, he's not possessed anymore. Yeah. I think he's just casually killing people. I mean... Like the prison probably would have had to do something about it if he was possessed yeah, and, like, true, trying to kill actually. people. But so, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's a weird one. Well, I'm surprised like, like there hasn't been a movie about that one. Yeah. Like the rest of them I've heard about. This one yeah. I genuinely did not know. No, they need to make this movie because like Yeah. It's a really interesting Definitely an interesting case. case. Like, but yeah, so that kind of wraps up all the cases that we're gonna be talking about today with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Probably mm-hmm. because if you're still here, you're probably sick of listening to us it's been a long long episode thank you for sticking it out if you have if you have if you're still here we appreciate you through the years the warrens performed all of their paranormal investigations free of charge making their livelihood from selling books movie rights lectures and tours of their museum they worked on many many other cases you can read about online maybe we'll do another episode we thought we'd do the most popular cases and kind of go into like proper deep dive of those but yeah so ed warren died from complications following a stroke on august 23rd 2006 Mm -hmm. lorraine warren retired from active investigations shortly after but she did remain as a consultant for the nespor so the new england society of psychic research until her death in 2019 when she died in her sleep at the age of 92 According to the Warrens' official website, the couple's son-in-law, 
Tony Spira has taken over as director of the NESPR and head curator of the Warren's Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut. Many skeptics have criticised Ed and Lorraine Warren over the years saying that they're good at telling ghost stories but lack real evidence. However, Ed and Lorraine Warren always maintained that their experiences with demons and ghosts absolutely took place as they described. Yes. And I do think I believe them. I mean, I think I believe them too. Maybe some of it might have been like over dramatized and or exaggerated, stuff. Exaggerated, yeah. But I do believe them because it's not something that they sought out to do. Yeah, it's, it was never like their mission in life. No, it was always something that they did for fun and it kind of turned into a career. I just think that they are extremely interesting. Yeah. Like two of the most interesting, interesting people, people ever. ever. I want their job. But oh at the God, same time, it's like terrifying. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be able to like realistically handle it, to be fair. I don't know. I feel like me and you would be so good at it. Oh, but we'd also be terrified. We'd be terrified. I'd be like, Becca, you go first. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to go in there. Yeah, we'd both be like bitches, but yeah i feel like we can do that though now we have the patreon set up like i definitely i know we have hellfire club we definitely want to go there yeah we definitely but we were thinking like since we have the patreon we might video ourselves doing some of these like investigations and places and then post it on the patreon so if that's something you're interested in make sure you subscribe to our patreon or follow us on patreon i don't really know what i don't know what the right terminology is either just go on our patreon give us money and we can definitely give you that (laughs) (laughs) but you know if you don't have the cash there's always our instagram where we post photos we'll post clips there as well yeah we try to post stories if we do go anywhere that's creepy and we have our website where we're gonna like try to update you guys Mm -hmm. we're still doing our little giveaway so please 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 go and follow us on spotify because we're waiting to give away gifts and you guys just don't yeah want them. we have them we actually have them in our possession and yes. we're just waiting to send them to you so and we're please. super excited it's our first merch like come on tell everyone tell your neighbors your mom your dad yeah, your dog just- your grandparents anybody who'll listen to you just anybody. get them to listen to us yes. because I we mean, at the very, very least, you can laugh at us. Yeah. <laughs> and we're perfectly happy with that. Just yeah, that's perfectly fine. Just, you know, we're jobless now. We need... Yeah, we, we need, need income. We need income, so... Help us out. Yeah, please, help us out. <laughs> if you have a job, you're already doing better than us, yeah, okay? literally, there <laughs> you go. Right on the money. Yeah, that's all for today. Sorry that we haven't really been as frequent lately we are uploading i've been sick nancy was on holidays we both lost our jobs we both lost our jobs we did come here to to record the day that we lost our jobs not knowing we were gonna lose our jobs that day yeah and um we ended up like just sitting here and like just being sad and we were like you guys don't deserve content on this miserable day so we're we're, we're really not feeling it it wasn't in our spirit that day so we're like rather than trying to laugh and joke and get through it like yeah. we just felt like it would sound very disingenuous so we're like exactly we'll record another day when we're feeling a little bit better and obviously that took quite a bit quite a bit of time it's but. okay i mean we're still not 100 percent there but <laughs> we're getting there we're surviving <laughs> not thriving <laughs> exactly <laughs> 
But yeah, we are hoping to, you know, upload to the Patreon every Wednesday and then everybody else gets episodes on the Friday. So we're going to stick to that as much as we can. But, you know, the job hunt is on. So we'll stick to it as much as we can. But hopefully things will kind of get more frequent very, very soon. And yeah, just please bear with us in the meantime. And thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.